0: Yeah, so, so stigma. Um, definition Social stigma is the disapproval of or discrimination against an individual or group based on perceivable social characteristics that serve to distinguish them from other members of a society. Um, I think stigma is such a big topic and something that's coming up time and time again at the moment within our society and our kind of unconscious bias and all of the challenges that people are facing today um, in whichever kind of guise. And I guess within the world that we work within social housing, stigma has always been such such a big thing um, and it doesn't seem to be going away. And so it's how, as a kind of responsible social housing provider, can we help to remove those stigmas and it's a really interesting kind of debate because within Places for People we do an awful lot around social value and that's really important to us and it's at the core and the heart of what we do and I know that to me and other colleagues it's very important that we make a difference to the lives of our customers and that we really help our communities to thrive but that in itself is almost stigmatizing weirdly. And I'm very conscious of that, that, you know, by saying that we need to do that, then in itself is creating a stigma, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because that's saying that certain individuals can't do that for themselves. And, you know, and and nobody's saying that to me though nobody's saying you know i live in my house and i'm allowed to kind of live the life that i want to live and you know within obviously legal boundaries and you know kind of like the the realms of kind of you know being a good person so i am very conscious of that and um so i think it's like just a really interesting debate and topic is just how as people how as individuals we can remove stigma we can be conscious of it we can try and help and assist and or even just kind of understand why why there are stigmas why as individuals we we kind of create these kind of conscious biases in our heads about certain things you know why is that and so I just thought it would be like a really interesting thing to talk about and because it's something I feel very strongly about and and haven't really got I don't think I've come up with, you know, all the answers, um, as I'm sure, you know, many people haven't either. And so I wanted today to just talk to Roger. So Roger Wilshire is my colleague and friend, and we've worked together now for sort of seven years um, since I joined Places of People. Um, I absolutely value, you know, Roger in terms of what he does and the way he thinks and the way, you know, that we kind of kind of just kind of kick off kick off, kick things around together and I think. And um but Roger's really interesting because Roger has worked um as a as a high ranking civil servant and um you know did many, many years um actually at the heart of government. So you know stigma within government is and, and just the way that that kind of plays out, I'm sure that that was a, a big part of the work that Roger and I know Roger worked with homeless services as well so it'd be really good to get kind of Roger's view on that as well. Um, but then from a personal perspective and I don't think Roger would mind me saying this Roger has a disability as well um, which I don't see at all because Roger's Roger and so and sometimes I have to remind myself that Roger does have a disability um, only because, I just, yeah, you just forget, and which is probably a good thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I just thought it would just be really good to sort of talk, you know, from two people who have worked in social housing and really care about what we do, for two people who are interested in sort of kind of politically what is going on in the world right now, and then also, as I say, from a personal perspective, and I've got Victoria here with me as always who's just always brings a different slant on things and can just kind of like pull us in or say why are you thinking about that or what are you doing there or because that's what Vic does because she's just amazing with words and thinking and kind of you know takes me into places that um make me think a little bit more strategic so yeah so that's what it's kind of is about really today so yeah I've been really wanting to do this for a long time so so what kind of like stigma for you what does that mean to you just the word
1: well, I guess you um, you talked about it earlier, didn't you, in terms of it's about when someone's perceptions, um, you know, lead to them either being discriminatory towards you or disapproval. You used the word disapproval. I think I certainly see a lot of examples, you know, as you said, of a quite long career doing a lot of different social policy, kind of homelessness, support for... Housing support for older people, neighbourhood renewal—you know—done some stuff on youth crime, and you know, so many of those issues have a recurrent theme through them about our perception of what we expect and how we expect people to to behave. And we all make judgments, don't we, when we see someone? I yeah. think some, for me, tackling stigma is about us as individuals understanding those judgments we're making, and maybe stopping and questioning them. So you talk about disability, I've I've got cerebral palsy, people make assumptions all the time. Sometimes really positive ones, sometimes people assume I'm going to be amazing because I talk with a speech impediment, so they think this guy must be really clever if he's overcome (laughs) these challenges. Sometimes the complete opposite. You know, I used to do a lot of talking at conferences and you would quite often see when I, I kind of wobble up to the stage, and take a deep breath and start talking. People are thinking, "Who the bloody hell and they sent to talk to us here. You can see people's perceptions change when they start to hear what you say and perhaps start to hear you've got something sensible to say. Mm. So it kind of makes me, I think, more alert to what are the preconceptions we all have in our mind and are we good enough at challenging them and stopping and thinking, why did I assume that? Why did I assume that kid was going to behave in this way? And we see that in social housing, don't we? All the time, we yeah, see, yeah. for example, homeowners making assumptions about how people in social housing should behave, you know, sometimes a bit of an assumption that people should be grateful for a house and so shouldn't they have any problems, mm. sometimes an expectation that there's going to be problems on the estate just because of the people who live there. And so much of that stigma is around the preconceptions that those individuals bring to the table. And I think it's wrong to say, oh, I'm morally superior and I don't have those preconceptions. We all have them. Mm. The challenge for me, I think, is, is understanding them and tackling them.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And we do all have preconceptions in some way, shape or form, don't we? Mm. No matter whatever they are. As, as you're talking um, and I'm listening and thinking, I, I have people who have preconceived ideas about me just by the way that I look. You know, and and I've had people say to me in my career, um, you know, when people first look at me, I mean, certainly not in the way that you've described, Rog, but in a different way that people look at me and and will make assumptions about me or and and, and will say things like, oh, I, I assume you're a hairdresser you know and and not that there's anything wrong (laughs) not that there's (laughs) anything wrong with being a hairdresser clearly because without hairdressers I would be sunk but um, it's that but you know why why do people make those sort of assumptions or then they'll say um, a a bit like you just said earlier oh yeah you walk in a room and people make a preconceived uh, idea about you and till you open your mouth and and then they go ah yeah and it's like again it's that same thing isn't it but I have started to and I'm going to ask you about this in a second because I've started to I think kind of try and preempt that so um by doing this kind of stuff and social media you know having pictures of myself on social mm. media and things so that people know what they're dealing with and almost know what they what they're going to see when I walk into a room so that they don't have this like almost kind of oh wow style or oh dear or you know that kind of oh really sort of situation and so yeah I I think that it's not kind of over-justifying myself but I suppose it is a look look. Um, this is what you're dealing with if you're going to invite me to something this is what I look like here's my <laughs> kind of pen portrait you know the hair is red the clothes are like this this is what and so because the amount of people that I have like walked into him and they have literally gone oh you know and you can kind <laughs> of see that so do you have did you ever do that or do you do that do you kind of like Look, I want you to know that I'm gonna come in and I'm and you know, my gait is going to be wobbly and I'm gonna be um, you know, that I can shake or my speech is not um as clear as, mm. you know, the kind of, you know, me or, or whoever. Is do you do that? Do you to almost prepare yourself or do you not care anymore? You
1: know, I, I do care and I wish I didn't. That was a little bit of me still, you know, that does care. But no, I don't I don't do that. I well I, I suppose I would say two things, one is that I've always been really open with anyone I work with, anyone in my personal life, you know, to just say I'm really happy to talk about this stuff, but I, but I also, the other side of that coin is, I don't lead on it, I wouldn't tell someone in advance, I would hate to think I was being put in a position where someone would feel they had to give me some sort of special favour. I don't want special favour. I want to compete on a level playing field. So I wouldn't do that. I would work on the theory that, you know, I do work on my the theory that if it comes out in discussion, um, I'll talk about it openly and honestly. And actually, probably, on balance, I prefer dealing with people. Who just ask really straightforward questions? The people who make assumptions but are a bit scared to ask the question. Like I understand why people are scared to ask the question. I remember when I was really, oh, I say, really young. I was about 22, 23, and uh, I was sent out to speak at a conference um, to talk about the government proposals for neighbourhood renewal, and I was doing like a round of lots of different focus groups, so I went and talked to the housing lobby, I went and talked to the crime and people who were interested in crime and victimisation, and I went to a room uh, where I went to talk to an event that was organised by Scope, the charity for people with cerebral palsy, which has nothing to do with the fact that I have cerebral palsy, it's just on my list of events to go to, and I made some reference to people with disabilities, and there was nearly a bloody riot in the room because I used the wrong phrase, because I should have used the phrase disabled people. Now, I still don't know where we are on that phraseology, terminology, it kind of changes over time. But that just struck me as, you know, we are absolutely addressing the wrong problem here, talking about the terminology of the language, rather than talking about what it is we're trying to achieve and, and what, as suppose, you know, what my perspective was coming into that conversation. So no, I don't. I don't do that in advance. But I'm really up for a robust conversation about it.
0: Mm yeah it's interesting isn't it that you know why why we do this you know what's what's in us i think it's you know started you know what you said it's like trying to explore why we have these sort of prejudices or these you know preconceived ideas and perceptions and where they come from and then it's the same way as then you know why do i feel that i have to do that because if i'm you know if i'm so sort of just out there in terms of, like, how I look anyway, then I should just bloody well get on with it. So it's that, you know, why why am I kind of, like, trying to prepare the ground and, and stuff,
1: so... And I suppose part of that is, are we moving, I think we are, to a much more inclusive society where it's okay, where we're actually celebrating difference rather than seeing it's yeah. something we have to kind of stamp out almost. You know, I felt earlier in my career, probably... You know, there were times when I would try to highlight my what what was the same about me to everyone else rather than difference. But we're in a place now and you see that with the younger generation coming through. I see it with my kids, where we're much better at celebrating difference. And you should you don't have to, you know, not have red hair and be a, a senior executive in a big business. It's okay to have both of those things and it's okay to mm. be different and it's actually celebrated and i think you know i think we've come a long way in, in 20 years if that was bad
0: yeah 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 i, I think you're right and i think the other thing you're right about is phraseology as well because as you're as you were talking um you know one of the things that that we're going to talk about today and the reason that you and i are both here and the career that we have is um the work that we do as i said at the, at the, the top of the hour and so but the word social housing, you know, mm. we have you know, phraseology, language is so important. And, you know, I was kind of reading and researching and, you know, all the stuff that we do through our work. And, you know, years and years ago, you know, it was like it was absolutely acceptable to, and, and you know, and was one of the things to do and it was a very proud thing to live in a council house, yeah. you know, kind of, you know post-war that that was what you did and you had a council house and you know and then you know things kind of changed as it does through various governments and then you know it became not just about the council it became you know much wider that there was kind of housing providers and you know registered providers and you know registered landlords to you know to help with the housing crisis and then you know and then it becomes social housing well it's like what does that mean and like where does that kind of leave people who then feel that they are being sort of stigmatized or that they're being categorized because they live in social housing they live in a house they live in their home Mm. it's not even housing is it? it's their home it's their you know whether you live whether you own your property whether you rent your property whether it's a council property you know it's kind of it's your home it's it it is your community in that sense but it it are these it's these words that we use you know uh, sociable social or affordable housing like what what does that mean and where does that lend itself
1: well i think you're right in this in, in the sense that for some reason but i don't quite understand society expectations have shifted from a point where you know moving into a social house was seen as an aspirational thing to do to that not being the case now but you also mentioned earlier about our expectations of people you know we both live in privately owned homes there's not an expectation on me to be in a local committee, to be involved in tackling crime and antisocial behaviour locally and I think sometimes we seem to expect more of social housing tenants, social housing customers and residents than we do with people in the private rental sector or, the, or the, the home ownership sector and I think that is That is a problem. Great if people want to get involved in their community. My wife's all over it. She loves it, you know, I've got to go to a bloody street party on Friday. Not by idea of fun, but you know, great for people who want to to do that. But we shouldn't we shouldn't force that on people. Um and and you know, there are some really superficial but quite important things that we can do and we are doing. So, you know, my street doesn't have a sign on the end of it with a company's logo oh, no. well you've got a sign with a company's logo It basically might as well have a big flash inside saying welcome to the social housing yeah but well, things we can do to tackle that some of the more challenging things i think are going to take us longer like when i talk to my teams they talk about conversations they have with the leaseholders on our schemes because we do a lot to mix up the community to have private owners, shared owners, leaseholders right next to social housing but most can, can be some quite challenging conversations and sometimes those private owners come with those preconceptions mm-hmm. about how social housing customers are going to behave and also come with this kind of pernicious view that they're lucky to have a house mm-hmm. therefore they should just do what they're told. Well, the people who live in social housing and the same as people who live in private housing we've got a whole array of people with a different set of skills and a different set of socio-economic backgrounds and a different set of um, behaviours and we shouldn't be expecting some universal approach from most people we shouldn't be expecting better behaviour from one set of tenants because <laughs> they should be quote unquote consider themselves sort of lucky to have that house
0: yeah, exactly. And it's just awful, isn't it, that, we, that it comes to that. And, you know, because the word for me, like affordable housing, although, you know, I find that very cold and very harsh, that in itself just means, you know, it's just, it's an affordability for anybody in anything. It's like, you know, we should all just be able to have a home that we can afford. And so it shouldn't be categorised or labelled in, in that way. You know, young professionals and just... You know anybody that is, is, is leaving school who's kind of leaving university who you know is, is kind of wants to create a family of them for themselves or an independence. you know wants somewhere to live and they need to be able to afford it on and there are people who choose certain careers that have a certain pay ratio with them and some of those are very vocational kind of areas of work as well you know you, you know that I you know was originally a nurse and so you know I was, was always kind of in the lower kind of pay Mm. bands you know back when I first kind of trained to be a nurse but you know was I absolutely saw myself as a young professional and um, you know so it's kind of why why are we saying oh yes well that's affordable housing well any house is affordable or should be affordable to the person who is buying it or living in it or renting it so again it just feels you know I think you're right, you know how I feel about signs as well I just find you know I just find that absolutely abhorrent that you we've just got ruddy really great signs and that you just don't have I don't have that in my house it's just you know the people you just need to live where you live and it's, it's your little fortress and you know and it's like and it doesn't matter whether you own it whether you don't own it does it at all um but yeah I think we just got to break down some of these words and the phraseology is I think he's absolutely right but how do we do that how do we start with it we've we just talking. and have used the word scheme I hate that phrase as well but it's so difficult to come up with something else that describes Mm. an area or you know you can use community you can use a state you know but sometimes there's, it's not quite the right word, and particularly mm. if it's supported housing or if it's, um, you know, it's retirement housing, then, you, you know, there tends to be this, like, oh, it's yes, that's a scheme or it's kind of... But, um, yeah, there's a connotation there as well, isn't there? What, do you, what are you thinking, Vic, as you're listening to this?
2: It's almost like there's two kind of areas of stigma going on. There's the stigma attached to the place and the name of the place and the home or the apartment and then the, the person... And I think that that is kind of desperately um, difficult because you have people from all kinds of backgrounds coming to communities to thrive. Mm. People are there because they want to live, they want to work, they want mm. to, you know, create families, um, make friends, maybe go to street parties, maybe not. <laughs> I <wouldn't recommend> it. <laughs> but, but this, and, and perhaps. That this might be some of the differences here in terms of of social housing stigma for the person and social housing stigma for the place and I wonder if there is a difference or because not everybody comes from similar backgrounds perhaps people that do seek social housing have other challenges and maybe even things like the media really kind of play into the whole painting a, a quite a nasty picture sometimes of of, a, of an estate or an area or a person um, and so the discrimination has already begun before that person's even got into the place that they want to be.
1: I think it's really interesting you talk about the reputation of places because we all know don't we if people have grown up in places mm. there's just a perceived view about that estate, Absolutely. Or this estate. And that can change over time, but mm. it takes a really long time and it takes quite a sophisticated assessment of what are the different levers we have to pull. So, early in my career, one of the jobs I had to do was pull together the findings from 18 policy action teams to say what should our strategy for the neighbourhood of renewal be. So we had a group of experts on crime and a group of experts on housing management, and a group of experts on young people. And what was interesting was you have to work out for every neighbourhood, I won't use the word scheme, or a state <laughs> or part of a, part of a town, well what is it actually that is driving this reputation here? Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's about a lack of economic connectivity, it's about a lack of jobs, sometimes it is about high levels of crime or antisocial behaviour, and if we can understand those issues, mm-hmm and we can understand why people have got the perceptions of that as a bad estate or not an estate they're able to live in, then you can, you can tackle those. And you really see the improvement. I grew up in Luton. My wife's now trained to teach in Luton. She's going to schools where I've said, you're never going to get out alive at that school <laughs> after a day. You know, I know what the reputation of that school is. The whole community has transformed in 25 years or so, 30 years. Mm. since I was a kid growing up in that area. So it can change, but it requires quite a sophisticated approach, I mm. think. And when I go out with our neighbourhood managers, that's what I love. Mm. You you talk to them, you're walking mm. around the saying you can talk to them about how is this place really perceived, and why is it perceived that way, mm. and what can we do to tackle that perception.
2: Mm. Mm. I guess it comes down to things like fear and like lack of understanding on mm. so many levels, is not
1: it? I think, yeah. I mean, yeah, bringing it back to the personal, mm. you know, I think we talked about my disability. When some people see me walking down the street and they see me kind of wobbling along a bit, that can be quite scary for people, you know, and actually that is because of their perception, isn't it? And we all have other similar examples where we draw a perception of someone we meet on a dark night which may or may not be completely accurate but so the challenge for us I think in tackling stigma is not to get rid of those perceptions I'm not sure you can but it's to to understand what's driving them Mm. and to tackle the the challenges that are driving them so if we know we've got an issue about poorly lit pathways in an estate Mm. that is driving that genuine fear among residents well we can do something about that can't we
0: yeah yeah so it's kind of it's like, it's like one step at a time then isn't it in that sense as well it's taking certain things that, that we can do something about and just changing people's perception but also kind of the reality of 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 a situation that's not a perception is it so there's a reality that there is a really dimly lit kind of pathway that people are scared of so you know you change that or um you know we make sure that the landscaping is you know and the the surrounding green areas are as lovely as they can be Mm. and you know that you remove all of the just the perception and the the oh yeah there's going to be fly tipping or there's going to be this or there's going to be that in those particular areas
2: I saw a headline in the newspaper a couple of weeks ago and it was talking about the cost of living crisis and how the impact on, on cost of living will make it more acceptable for people to start openly talking about their kind of financial issues and the impacts across kind of a level playing field and I just I, I don't know how that I felt about it I thought surely it shouldn't take um, something like a, a, a crisis that will affect everybody in different ways to be able to kind of have those open conversations about the cost of living where we live how we live how we afford to kind of pay our heating and again the stigma word was kind of constantly in that conversation
1: i think you go back to a point earlier about somehow there's an expectation that if you're not able to afford this house or you're not able mm. to pay your bills for a short while, you have personally failed mm. rather than, because maybe that's easier mm. than than pointing to the fact that society has failed, mm. the economy has failed because it's got us here. Mm. And I do, what I'm really worry about are, customers because you know as, as we all do I spend a lot of time walking around our estates all over the country and you know we've done a great job of creating mm. all manner of money money advice teams and you know a hardship fund and you know Marcus in particular Marcus Hume our social value director has got a whole range of support and my colleagues in my team are briefed on that and can got lots of resources we can share with people. It's not going to scrape the surface of no. the challenge some that those people are going to face. And, you know, obviously the government recently made some announcements which are going to help with those people, but I think we're going to, we're going to see some really, really difficult challenges for our customers mm-hmm. in the next kind of 12 to 18 months. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of the support we offer. Yeah. But it's, it's just never enough, you know. No, it's,
0: you're absolutely right. And that in itself, though, doesn't it, all of that support that we offer this stigma attached to all of that as well, which is what we kind of started the conversation with. And, you know, I know that we're in a position that we can support some of our customers with food vouchers and fuel vouchers and that we, in some of our um, neighbourhoods and communities, we will run a food pantry and mm. that we have food banks. But, you know, we know the stigma attached with that, that people have to go to a food bank, mm. um, is just appalling to people that they feel that and some people won't do it either, which is the other thing. They can be so desperate and so challenged. And I was talking to somebody fairly recently that was mm-hmm. saying that they couldn't afford to pay their water bill. Um, but there was no way that they wanted to put their hand up to say that they couldn't afford to pay their water bill because you know they were very they were a very proud individual, they you know managed you know all of their lives to be very independent and then found themselves in sort of these difficult circumstances and so therefore we just were not were not prepared to do that. Their pride was kind of absolutely getting in the way. So I think there's going to be that as well um, mm-hmm. as we go through the next kind of 12 to kind of 24 months particularly.
1: But, you know that's a really good reminder that there are things we can do to help remove stigma. So coming back closer to home for example the way Places for People has really embraced mental health first aiders mm-hmm. I think has helped to tackle some of that stigma about, around mental health. It's helped people to have far more open conversations you know, we've had a lot of senior people talk about their position in relation to mental health and that has enabled people, I think, to open up and to say, do you know what, it is okay but I've got this, this challenge in my life and it is okay to ask us for help. So there's something for us about continuing to work with our customers to to try and eradicate that sense of, It's almost a sense of shame, isn't it? Like, it's Mm. my failing that I need to ask for this help. It's not your failing. Society has failed you, and we're here to try and support
0: you. Yeah. No, I think think that's exactly right. And we're just going to have to do so much more of that. Um, Because, you know, you've seen the stats. You're all very aware of this. You know, we're all, like, three decisions away, aren't we, from finding Mm. ourselves in severe financial shock or... um, you know just real financial hardship and the, one of the biggest challenges as well is, is breakdown of relationships you know it's a breakdown of a relationship of some sort whether that's a work relationship so people find mm. themselves that they're out of work or it's a breakdown of a marriage or a you know a long-term kind of relationship in that sense that mean that people kind of have to move out mm. or they need to have you know different accommodation you know people who have fleeing domestic abuse we've talked about this before all of that is a breakdown of a relationship that means that people find that their circumstances change mm. and so therefore um, they're in they're in very difficult circumstances that they they weren't kind of uh, kind of looking for aware of ready for and therefore that's the situation as well where people won't ask for help you know, people fleeing domestic abuse. It's the it's the one of the you know we all know it's one in four women, one in seven men, and very often it's just people again the stigma of kind of oh. saying you know I'm in a difficult relationship here, I need help. People don't want to ask no. for help, but I think you're right, Rog. Uh, again, what? the um pandemic showed and this kind of highlighting of mental health issues is that people are prepared to talk much more now but there will still be people we know that men we know that men is just absolutely it's hard for us for all that you know most men do not want to talk about their kind of mental health issues and therefore that's why you see more um cases of suicide in young males and you know so how do we do this and i i think the world is moving and I think we've said that haven't we we've said that at the beginning the world is changing and I know Roger a conversation that we had and Victoria you were kind of in that same sort of vein is that children particularly are Mm. are much more open (laughs) to difference to nuance to and so you hope that that continues and that as they become older that they that generationally they don't kind of create filters or Mm. that they're kind of Perceptions change, that just the more kind of open that society becomes um, these days, that, you know, and that we can keep that. My fear is that things like forcing people down the road of, you must be a homeowner, you must be on a shared ownership ladder, you must be on the property Mm -hmm. ladder, is still creating that myth and that kind of stigma for people. So even though they do have this much more open-minded view of life, and Mm. it's like, anything goes, you know, it's much better. And, you know, certainly we know that younger people will openly talk about mental health, which is brilliant, you know, will openly talk about kind of their sexuality, which is absolutely brilliant, you know. And so therefore if we can continue with that because we don't want to get into these other stigmas of you are a lesser person if you do not own your own home. Mm. I mean, that is just fundamentally rubbish, isn't it? Um,
1: We were talking earlier, weren't we, about kids don't see labels. So, you know, you were asking me about was I ever bullied as a kid, and I wasn't, you know, because kids just see you for who you are. When I was 10 and I started falling behind at school... I had to have this enormous bloody electronic typewriter it was the last word in technology we didn't have any computers then you yeah, know which I lugged around from lesson to lesson I might as well have had a big sign on my head saying different uh, but kids just go with that completely it's just it becomes the norm within kind of a couple of days so you know I think you are absolutely right there's great we can draw great confidence from the fact this generation of people coming through far more seem to be able to hold on to that open mindedness Mm. longer into their adulthood. And the question is, is that going to change society for good? And I think some of the really difficult stuff we've talked about, about an expectation of homeownership and a, a, a perception of what it means to be of someone who lives in a social housing estate. You know, hopefully we can we can turn some of that back it hasn't always been like that as we discussed it wasn't like that 60 or 70 years ago it's not written into folklore when it has to be like that if we can make do our bit by making thriving sustainable places where we can do our best to help our people you know to steal your friends live their best lives you know we can all be part of that can't we we can't solve all of this for the country but we can certainly make our places you know as as sustainable and supportive of people getting on in life as we possibly can
0: Exactly, and just that—that's a great kind of end, really. I think, isn't it? And it's just—it's just we've got to keep talking. And what I'd really like to do, maybe next time as well, is talk to some of our customers about this. You know, I've—I've I've spoken to some of them, um, not you know, not on a microphone, but I have spoken to them, and um, it is really interesting when you hear their backstories as well. It's fascinating, mm. absolutely fascinating, when you hear people's backstories as to why they are in circumstances that they are in or things that they are experiencing at a particular time and it just makes you think very differently about the world and so i think you know for me i think some takeaways is that we are we are comfortable and i think i'm kind of slightly optimistic that as a society we are beginning to open up more we are beginning to kind of remove barriers and break down norms and i think that our younger people are you know gen z you know all of these guys are absolutely the heart of that which is great and we need that to continue we absolutely do um, we need within the work that we do to really think about phraseology and language and bits that we can move and change, um, and you know uh, understand why there are fears or and breaking down those fears. So not just looking at that, ah, uh, what's the stigma attached, but why you know, and is it as something as practical as we need to put lighting up or you know all of those things that we can do, as you've said, and we just need to kind of continue to. You know maybe just speak to government and you know take our responsibilities as a you know a large landlord very seriously and you know just lobby a bit more and say you know what what is all this about and just keep doing the things that we're doing and uh yeah and I you know we're not going to solve it all but it's just that's just felt like a really great conversation and it's probably the start of um yeah of of a big thing and I I know these are just our opinions and you know it's just what what we've been talking about today and I'm sure there are lots and lots of other different opinions but uh, that was a really good conversation so thank you both thank you very much thank you
1: thank you